0: The National Domestic Violence Hotline number, 1-800-799-7233. 1-800-799-SAFE. They're available twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five 365 days. If you or a loved one is the victim of domestic violence, please reach out. Somebody will be there to help you. If you need help, reach out to me any, anywhere, and I will definitely do what I can to get you, to get you the help that you need. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE. one 800 799 Seven, two, three, three. Warning, the following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the jury room where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. The following podcast contains references to child abuse, sexual abuse, and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of The Jury Room is going to be a little bit different I sat down with the host of the True Consequences podcast, Eric Londine, and heard his story. Now this story is despicable by every by every meaning of the true word disgusting. Now, any opinions? Discussed in this podcast is obviously our own, but I want to thank Eric for having the strength, the courage to come on and tell his story, to tell Jacob's story. This will be your last warning before we get into the show. This is a heavy episode, and this will touch your heart. This story brought me to tears as I was listening to Eric talk. And I don't know how else to describe that. It's infuriating, devastating, just downright sad. But... If this story, if you can take any positives from this story, it's just that you can survive, that you can come out the other side. And I hope by the end that it's given you the strength, the courage, the fortitude to realize that you're not alone, that you can and will come out the other side a better person. Eric, thank you for coming on and sharing Jacob's story. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I have Eric Londine on. He is the host of the True Consequences podcast, Uh, but he is also had some tragedy and in, in, in his family th- throughout the years, and unfortunately, uh, one of his family members was was brutally murdered for no reason at all. So, uh, Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, man?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm Eric carter Landine. I'm the, like you said, the host of True Consequences and the co-ghost of Dos Buqueños. And I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for allowing me to share my brother's story on your show.
0: No problem. So with that being said, if you could just give us a quick, I guess, overview as to what did happen to Jacob when uh, when he was a little boy. Yeah. Um,
1: so Jacob was my only brother uh, at the time. I was five years old when he was born. I had prayed for him you know, to, to be born. And I told my mom that I really wanted a baby brother that I could play with and just hang out with. I was kind of a lonely kid. I was an only child for a long time. And uh, Jacob was, was an answer to that prayer. He, he was pretty amazing. He had a lot of personality and a lot of energy. He was a kid that just was a little bit crazy in the sense that he liked to do things that were, somewhat dangerous Um, one example of that was when he used to be in his baby swing he would reach forward as the swing was going forward and grab the front legs of the swing and throw the entire thing backwards so that he would land on the floor and he would lay there laughing for a long time the first time it happened my family freaked out everybody took a huge breath and uh, gasped and he was fine you know, he he just was like that. He liked to do crazy things. And he was so full of joy and laughter. And he was just an amazing kid. My parents, shortly after Jacob was born, started to have problems. My dad was a Pentecostal evangelist. And so he would travel around the country preaching. And he had moved us to Texas from New Mexico and kind of had left my mom and I And Jacob in a bit of a lurch in the sense that he wasn't great about making sure that we had money and food and things that we needed. And so my mom was really struggling. She was struggling to take care of us. And we weren't ever really sure where our next meal was going to come from. And so she had basically had enough of that. And she had found out through the grapevine that my dad was emotionally, emotionally involved with another woman. Um, I don't think it was a physical relationship, but there was definitely an emotional connection there. And that was, that was enough for my mom. She'd had enough and decided to move us back to New Mexico to live with my grandparents. And she was, you know, she was feeling hurt and betrayed and, and all of those things that you would expect in that situation. And so when my dad's best friend kind of showed up out of the woodwork trying to romance her. I think it was, it was a little bit shocking for her, but also at the same time, I think it was kind of nice because she had spent so long being just alone with the kids that, you know, to have somebody interested in her, I think that was, that was relatively welcome. And I I think it was welcome for me in a lot of ways because this person, this person was really uh, willing to spend time with me and, and things that, you know, my dad wasn't really around for. So this person, his family and my family are very connected. His father was a preacher in my hometown in Socorro, and he actually married my parents. So um, his sister was married to my mom's brother. And so our families were very connected his aunt is my godmother um, my mom grew up with him she's known him her whole life they went to school together they went to church together and he was my dad's best friend and immediately he started to love bomb both of us myself and my mom we we fell for it you know we didn't really know what love bombing was i don't think anybody knew what love bombing was back then But now looking back, it was very clear that that's what was happening in the situation. And so before I knew it, my mom and I had moved in and Jacob had moved in with with him. And I guess I'll just call him John for the sake of...
0: For the sake of names?
1: Yeah, making it a little bit easier to understand the story. So we're living with John and it wasn't too long after we moved in with him that started to notice some things happening to Jacob that were a little bit strange and unexplainable. He started to have bruises on his body, and then there were just weird things like sunflower seed shells being left in his crib. And so um, my mom really wasn't sure what was happening, and John told my mom, as well as my grandmother and a bunch of other people, that I was very jealous of Jacob and that I was the one who hurt him. He said that he saw me kick Jacob in the head one time. He also claimed that he left me and Jacob alone for a little bit when he went to take his kids to his his ex-wife's house and that I had picked up Jacob out of his crib and dropped him on the ground.
0: So let me interject for a second. How old were you at that point? I was probably just about six. So, so this grown man, John... This telling everybody that you, as a six year old picked a baby up and dropped him on his head correct that's so sad, man
1: and it's important to know that Jacob was not a small baby. he was ten pounds when he was born, and when all of this was happening, my best guess is he was probably around twenty pounds at the lightest, <laughs> and I was not a big kid. I was pretty small, so I was probably close to forty pounds. I just don't see it possible that I picked him up out of the crib, but I guess it could have happened. I also don't understand why you would leave a six-year-old alone with a nine-month-old or a six-month-old baby. Like, that doesn't make any sense either. The other thing is, I don't believe that I would have had the strength. So I'll I'll backtrack a little bit. I I forgot to mention this. Um, One of the major injuries that was a bit alarming was Jacob had a bump on his head. And he was really fussy. He was getting ear infections. He wasn't feeling good. He was sleeping a lot. And so my mom took him to the doctor to be examined. And it turned out that he had a uh, fracture on his skull and he was leaking uh, brain fluid. And so the bump that was on his head was actually just a ball of brain fluid. And so they had to drain that. And I just don't think it's possible that a six year old kicking uh, a baby in the head could exert that much force to cause him to fracture his skull and leak brain fluid. So my mom starts to get really confused about everything that's going on and decides that it's best to send me to California to be with my dad. And so they flew me out there. I changed schools, changed kindergartens. The weird stuff didn't stop. Jacob still continued to have unexplainable injuries. So my mom started to limit how much time John spent with Jacob alone. And pretty successfully kept him away from him for a long time. And then one night, my mom was working She worked at a grocery store and my my grandmother was watching Jacob. My grandma wanted to go to church. So she called my mom and said, what should I do with Jacob? I want to go to church and I don't really want to bring him. And so my mom said, well, I get off in about an hour. So why don't you just take him to John's? What's the worst that could happen in an hour? So immediately after hanging up with my grandmother, my mom had this really strong feeling that something was something bad was going to happen. And so she started begging her boss to let her leave work early. Yeah. And her boss said, no, told her that she was almost done with her shift. She might as well just finish it. So, um, she started to busy herself just so she wouldn't think about it. And I would say it was maybe half an hour, maybe 40 minutes after Jacob was dropped off at John's house that John comes running into the grocery store in a panic. And at the same exact moment, there is an ambulance flying by on the road with its uh, sirens blaring. And he tells my mom that uh, there was an accident and that Jacob had fallen off the couch and hit his head on the coffee table and that he was unconscious and being rushed to the hospital. So my mom left work, went to the hospital and met with the doctor and was was told that Jacob's injuries were so severe that he would have to be airlifted to Albuquerque, which is about 75 miles away from where I lived. So they took him in the the helicopter and they took him to Presbyterian Hospital first, but they weren't equipped to deal with the injuries. So they airlifted him again to the University of New Mexico Hospital, which is the only trauma one center in the entire state of New Mexico. Jacob was rushed into emergency surgery and he didn't, he didn't make it. He, he died in the middle of the surgery. So my dad woke me up. We're in California. He woke me up probably like three or four in the morning to tell me that something happened to Jacob and that we were going back to New Mexico. So we left, we got on an airplane, It felt like, it felt like we had just gotten off the airplane Mm -hmm. when I was taken into a police interview. It it felt that fast. It might've not been that fast, but that's what my memory was. And immediately the police started asking me if I had hurt my brother. And I got really agitated when they asked me that question. And my dad, you know, was there with me. And eventually I said, no. And they asked me if, if I knew who did. And I again said, no. And then they asked me if John had ever hit me. And I said, no, he's never hit me, but he always acts like he's going to. And something that happened before I was taken into that interview room, which I thought was strange later, looking back was John pulled me aside and grabbed me really tightly by the arms and said, don't lie. Don't you dare lie you know what happens to people who lie
0: the fuck yeah <laughs> okay they oh so I can feel like uh, you, you first of all you're great at giving at telling stories because I'm getting chills right now I that's that is cr- that's so devastating man okay so they pull you in they're interviewing you what
1: mm-hmm.
0: happened next um what happened next was
1: a bit of a blur. I remember seeing my mom and just seeing the grief in her face was probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. You know, the mm. um, the pain of a mom losing her kid is pretty, it's pretty awful. Sure. And I can't imagine what it felt like to be her in that situation. We went back home. And we had a funeral. All of that is very much a blur in my mind and in my memory, but um, I remember the funeral and I remember I was very confused about everything. Jacob's death was the first experience I had with the death of a person in my life. You know, I had lost a dog before, but this was just completely different. It was on a whole different scale. The pain of it is still there. You know, it still hurts. John starts acting weird after the funeral and he starts following my mom around. He leaves notes at her job. He leaves notes on her car. He has family members deliver letters to my mom. And in every letter, he's, he's begging her to, to talk to him. But the weirdest part about this was, in every letter, he wants my mom to meet him at Jacob's gravesite to talk to him, which first of all, that's the last place my mom wanted to be right in that moment, but also makes me question what his real intentions were because the graveyard is a little bit isolated. You know, it's in town, but it's kind of a remote part of town and he could have done anything to her if she would have gone there. And, it's just kind of like a weird fucked up thing to, to bring the mother of a a baby who died to his gravesite to talk about it. Like that. Yeah. That doesn't, I don't know.
0: It, it almost in a sense, like, of course, and this is all allegedly, right? Like mm-hmm. al- allegedly John was involved. Allegedly John did this allegedly. Right. But right. it's also one of those things that, you know, in, the true crime world that you know the psychology of somebody who's committed a crime especially something as fucking heinous as this one because this is gross beyond words can even describe is it's almost like he wants to relive that moment you know and maybe that's his thought process on it is hey you know what let's take not only he gets the twofer he gets to relive of what happened but then he also gets to feed off the pain of the mother who is obviously going to be distressed at the gravesite you know what i mean yeah so it's sick, for that, sure. that's disgusting
1: and and no matter how like no matter how i try to frame it in my mind every way i look at it it's bad right like it's horrible and so there there's just no good motive for that in my mind nothing good could come of that so there's some things to know about what happened before we move into the next part of this but it's it's important to know that the uh, office of the medical investigators report and in the autopsy claims that Jacob died from a subdural hematoma due to blunt force trauma on his head on the top of his head the doctor noted that it looked similar to the size of the open palm of a male adult. And I've I've talked to several medical professionals and they, they said they pretty much can guarantee that the doctor saw that on the MRI. Like it was, it was going to be obvious. And, you know, when I first read that, I was like, well, how does the doctor even know that? But I've talked to some, some people in the medical field and they said, no, you can actually see that it'll show up exactly like that. And especially for doctors who have dealt with child abuse that they're used to identifying those things so that's that's one thing that's pretty damning another thing that was was a little bit alarming was his behavior John's behavior while Jacob was in surgery the doctor came out a couple of times to you know update my mom and my grandparents about what was happening and John the entire time is saying this isn't going to look good for me this looks really bad for me i can't believe this is happening to me he never once asked how Jacob was doing. Right. He never once showed any concern about Jacob's well being the entire time he's talking about himself.
0: Like, who gives a fuck about you, dude? Like, this right. has nothing to do with you.
1: Unless it does. Unless right? it does,
0: right? Exactly. And that's the, you know, that's that uh, admission of guilt without admitting it right of like oh shit you know they're gonna find out what i did type of of feeling that he's dealing with so a lot
1: of this stuff we didn't know immediately because john was really good at being the being this like gregarious warm loving friendly person to the outsiders people who didn't interact with him very closely saw him as that, you know, he had lots of friends, people liked him. And so in the beginning, and even relatively after Jacob's death, we felt like he was a good person. And so my mom was asked by the police if she thought he was capable of hurting Jacob and her response was, I don't think so. And again, you have to remember that she's known this man her entire life. Our families are very connected. He's best friends with my dad. Right. So we didn't think so. She had been living him with him for about a month and a half, maybe two months at this point, he had never shown any sign of violence towards her or me. And so she didn't think so. Well, and then we fast forward, you know, past Jacobs funeral. He's asking to meet her at the grave. And I didn't really suspect him of doing anything to Jacob until one day when he finally got brave enough to come to my grandparents' house because he was tired of my mom not responding to him so he pulls into the driveway and my grandfather is the was the type of person who you know once you got him in his chair that's where he basically was until he went to bed <laughs> right he was in his chair and he was watching TV and you couldn't really move him from there and he wasn't the type of person that moved really fast or, you know, was super active. He was kind of, you know, I don't mean this to be me, but he was kind of lazy.
0: Right. I mean, he was old. It was, it was one of those things. He's, he's older. He's, he's probably moved fast his whole life. And now he's ready to slow down a little bit.
1: But when John pulled into the driveway, my grandfather jumped out of his chair and went running outside. And I had never seen him run before. And so I paid attention sure. immediately. And, and I followed him. I'm like, what's happening? Something's happening. And he runs up real fast to John's car and bangs on the window and says, why don't you hit somebody who can talk? You son of a bitch. And John peeled out, took took off. You know, he was obviously scared. And that's when I realized that he could have been responsible for Jacob's murder.
0: I mean, in a sense, for me, anyway, it's like just this, you know, the short way that we're into this story is he sounds like a narcissist, you know, to the truest sense of the word.
1: Yeah. And I think as we get deeper into it, you'll, you'll start to believe that even more. Sure. Eventually, my mom and John patched things up somehow. I don't really understand. Oh my God. Okay. Mm -hmm. What happened or how it happened but it happened and and they're back together and so i remember one day he had to go up to the state police office in Santa Fe which is about 120 miles from Socorro and we waited in the car for him to to be given a polygraph examination and he came out seemed really cheerful happy my mom asked how it went he said it was fine i passed and so that was that so just keep that in the back of your mind okay um, we we moved back in with him we got a new place to live and within a short amount of time he, he married my mom
0: how old were you when you guys moved back in together
1: um i think i was still six maybe seven
0: six or seven okay
1: that's when everything changed and it changed very dramatically. So once once they were married, John's behavior and his personality completely changed. He became very aggressive and very violent. My mom would get beat up almost on a daily basis by him. And anything could set him off, really. You never knew what it was that was going to do it. But inevitably something would set him off and then it would be hours and hours of him and my mom fighting with him beating her up i spent so much of that time walking on eggshells in a sense because i i couldn't even look at him if i if i looked at him at all it would be he would accuse me of of giving him dirty looks And then my mom would inevitably stand up for me and say, he just looked at you because you said something. And then before I know it, he's just beating the shit out of her. So I learned to not make eye contact with him or with anyone. Really? I learned to not speak up and not say anything. And I learned from him quickly that whenever we went out in public, if my mom had bruises, that I better tell the story the way he wanted me to tell the story.
0: Otherwise you were going to get it later
1: or, well, not me, but my mom. Oh, okay. I see. I see. And, and the way I got it wasn't through physical violence. The way I got it was being locked away for hours and hours at a time, uh, without access to the restroom, you know, without access to really anything, food or anything that I needed, Um, that, that's the way I paid for, for that. So, so I learned quickly that whatever the story was, that's, that's what I said. And, and it was always something different. You know, my mom fell off a motorcycle or she slipped at work. You know, there was always something that happened that would explain away what happened and people who knew him, thought it wasn't possible that he was hitting my mom because he wasn't that type of person, according to them. So this continued for a while. And and there was one fight in particular that I that really stands up to me. The rest of them kind of blurred together, but this one really, really stood out. When his kids were around, he had shared custody with his ex-wife. He had a, a, a daughter and a son, and when they were around, things were never as bad as when they weren't around. And I think part of that was because he knew that they could go to their mom and tell them what was happening, tell her what was happening. But one time, I guess he had just gotten so mad that he didn't care that the kids were there. And so he locked us in, in my room, all three of us. Um, There was a lock on the outside of the door. So you wouldn't be able to get out if you wanted to. And I just remember my mom's screams were so terrifying and blood curdling. And so I was really freaked out and agitated. You know, I was always in a state of survival. I was always on edge, but there was something different this time. And I just didn't like the way it was feeling. And so my mom stopped screaming suddenly, and I just reacted. I broke my bedroom window and I jumped out of the window. I ran around to their bedroom and I started throwing rocks at their window and I shattered one of the windows and he came running out of the house and chased me down the road. And I found out later that at that moment, my mom was losing consciousness. He had wrapped a wire hanger around her neck and he was strangling her to death. And if I hadn't have done that, she believes that she would have been dead. Wow. And, and I think that if she was dead, I was next.
0: I want to ask, how is your mom now? I mean, is she, obviously has, I'm sure you guys both have worked through a lot of baggage together, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, my mom has, obviously has complex PTSD as a result of everything. She's never been the same since all of this happened. It's, you know, it's hard for her. There's a lot of guilt there's a lot of pain. there's a lot of shame. All of those things are there. Uh, she's doing her best to to live you know a peaceful life, but it's also hard because you know John was never charged with anything. And so there's still that feeling of I guess emptiness is the best way I can describe it because there's never been any justice for jacob so my mom and i have a, a good relationship you know we have a strong relationship and i think that comes from going through excuse me going through what we went through together but yeah i'm not gonna lie and say that she's doing great because she isn't right and i don't i don't know how how anybody could
0: do great after that um I guess I don't mean great necessarily in that sense of the word, but, you know, has she, you know, I guess in a way, because I mean, that's, that's a lot of emotional trauma Mm -hmm. for years on end, you know, that, you know, has she at least gotten to a place in her life now where she can forgive herself because that's a hard like my empathy for that in itself, just I can put my shoe myself in her shoes as far as holding on to that regret and just that just eating you up every day, you know. And that's that's a terrible place to be.
1: Yeah, I think she's still there, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, you know, to, sure. to help her get out of that. I I can't imagine what it's like. And, you know, people, people can be cruel online sometimes and and say things without really even knowing what it's like to be in that situation. So, you know, I've had people say, you know, leave comments like, Oh, I'm so angry. If I was that mom, I would have done things differently. And, and, you know, that's easy to say right. when you're not in the middle of that situation. It's easy to say when you don't have a man telling you every single day, the only way you're going to leave me is in a body bag. And once you're dead, your son's next. So it's easier to look from the outside and have that perspective. But I ask for those people that are thinking that, that you try for a minute to imagine what it would be like to be in that specific situation and to not only have your life threatened, but the life of your child, your only living child now threatened and knowing that this man possibly killed your baby what you would do in that situation hindsight is not a gift that's afforded to people in the moment you know that's something that we have later and if we would have had the hindsight it might have been a different story but my mom I feel did the best she could in the situation she
0: was in given the circumstances that she was living in and that is you know that is a very valid point that a lot of people don't understand what it's like to live in abuse and what it's like to have that fear of, am am I going to live or die today? Plus now I have to worry about, you know, my other child, you know, dying like that's, you know, obviously she's going to do what she needs to do to protect you. And if that decision means staying just for your safety, then you can't necessarily fault her for that. Right. And I think that if my dad had, so it's important to know that my dad
1: had in for all intents and purposes abandoned me at this point after Jacob's funeral, he left. And the last thing he said to me was, I'm going to call you for your birthday. I'm going to send you a birthday present and then I'm going to come back and pick you up and we're going to go to Disneyland. I didn't hear from my dad again until I was like 16 years old. Oh my mom didn't really have the option of sending me back to my dad because my dad was nowhere to be found. Um, I'm sure if he was around that would have been an opportunity to get me out of the situation and it might've been easier for her to leave at that point. But with the situation as it was, there was just, there was really nothing that that could happen. And so she endured a lot. And she, I think she probably felt like she was taking the brunt of it to protect me. Sure. And, And she probably was until I was about 10 years old. And then John decided that he wanted to sexually abuse me. And he told me that if I ever said anything to anybody about it, that he would kill my mom. And I believed him, I had every reason to believe him. So I didn't say anything. I kept it quiet, I kept it to myself and I buried it. And at the same time, he decides that he's going to start trying to groom my 14-year-old cousin. And so she was living with my grandparents and he would call over there when he knew my grandparents weren't weren't home and he would tell her things like you're so beautiful, you know, I've liked you since the first time I saw you, but I didn't want to say anything because nobody would understand and you definitely can't say anything about this conversation because nobody else will understand. This is between you and me. And the thing is if he would have known her, and if he would have known her personality, he probably would not have targeted her. Right. Because she she's the type of person, and she's still like this, who does not give a fuck what anybody thinks about anything ever. And she's not afraid of anybody. And she is a blabbermouth.
0: <laughs>
1: so as soon as as soon as he hung up and she kind of played him al- along for a while and let him keep going. But as soon as the conversation was over, she told everybody right. She told the whole family. And that was the fire that my mom needed to escape because I think my mom was, was willing to tolerate herself being abused. and And I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the guilt that she felt about Jacob dying. You know, she might have had some sense of of maybe that she deserved what was happening to her. But as soon as he turned his sights on somebody else and she found out about it and the fact that it was a, a teenage kid that, you know, was in our family, I don't think it would have mattered if they were in our family or not. But as soon as she knew there was a kid involved, she was done. So we left and he stalked us for a good three years after we left. He he would follow us around town. He would come to my window every night and tell me that he was gonna fucking kill me. You know, I used to sleep under my bed because I was so afraid.
0: Dude, that oh man! First of all, like my heart just is like not out of pity, but just breaking for you, man. This 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 is probably one of the hardest things I've ever heard in my entire life. I I mean, we we've all had some shit in our life, but fuck man this is this is crazy it's like a bad movie right it's a and 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 i mean no no disrespect when i say that but like this is fucked up man and for yeah. for you and and your mom you know to come through the other side you know it's a testament to your guys' strength and will you know to to keep going in life and, and that's something that You know, both of you guys need to, you know, take solace in that. Just the mere fact that you guys fucking... You guys faced the devil and came out the other side. Not, you know, in a religious sense, but... I mean, this guy fucking deserves hot pokers up his ass for the rest of his life. Like, whatever the cruelest shit this guy does, he deserves it. And that's just the bottom line. Allegedly or not, somebody was able to terrorize children and women for years on end with no relent is somebody who deserves no kind of mercy.
1: Yeah. I I tend to agree with you and, and I know it's cliche to say this, but you really don't know how strong you are until you don't have a choice. Right. Um, You know, there's no choice here. I, I have to continue living and, um, and hope that there's going to be a better future. And and it's been a good life, you know, aside from what happened earlier in my life, it's been a good life. You know, I've got a 15 year old kid. He's never had to deal with a fraction of anything that I had to deal with. And sure, that of course that is the best gift that I can give him. You know, he has a peaceful life and he's loved and he's taken care of and he never has to worry because if anybody ever tried to hurt him that would be the end for them <laughs> right of course and he know and he and he knows that and so you know that that keeps me going knowing that I can provide that and that that it ends here you know it doesn't it doesn't continue here it stops it's over um the nightmare is over and i'm not going to ever inflict that on anybody
0: sure of course
1: after my mom left him she she went through the process to file for divorce, and after the judge heard everything that happened, he granted my mom an annulment on the marriage. Um, so it wasn't even a divorce, it just is like it never existed. He also granted her an order of protection that was supposed to be for her entire life. At the same time, she was trying to convince the district attorney to press charges against John for murdering Jacob when she asked him if he would do that, he said, no. And she said, why not? And he said, because you changed your story. So if you'll remember in the initial interview with the police, when they asked my mom, if she thought John was capable of killing Jacob, she said, I don't think so. That's what he's referring to as her story. Right. That changed. He said that she had alibied him and just as a lay person who's not a lawyer i'm pretty sure that in order to alibi somebody you have to be with them at the time that the event happened to say that they were not there and they did not do that she was not with him so there's
0: no way she could have alibied him because the only person that was there was jacob and um. jacob's not you know jay uh, which i can't even believe i have to say this but jacob's not here to be able to speak for himself so are you fascinated by a true crime like us? If so, check out our podcast, Crime Divers, hosted by me, Jill, and me, Laura. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world. So, what are you waiting for? Come join us as we dive in. Welcome back to the jury room. I hope you guys had a great holiday. We're almost through 2020. What a hell of a year it's been I hope everybody is doing well we're almost there the new year's right around the corner and I wanted to just break this episode up because I know I know it's heavy I know that it's rough and it hurts and but just just realize that you are strong enough to overcome it. Jacob's story is one of brutality, disgust, and just downright despicable. But if there's one thing that Jacob and Eric Londine has taught us, it's that don't give up. Now, Eric's fighting extremely hard to get this case reopened and to get justice for Jacob. So if you can, support Eric, help him, get the DA's attention in New Mexico, and let's get some justice for Jacob. As always, make sure you leave a like, subscribe, and if this story helps anybody, then mission accomplished. Back to Eric's story.
1: Hi, friends. Hi. Welcome to their Terrified and Tipsy... I'll start. Okay. My name is Courtney. Uh, I love long walks on the beach, mm-hmm. white wine, and I absolutely love scary movies. And I'm Stephanie. I also love long walks on the beach. I love white wine, but I absolutely f-ing hate <laughs> scary movies. <laughs> so Stephanie, mm-hmm? can I ask you a question? Please. Why in the hell <laughs> would you want to watch scary movies and do a podcast on scary movies when you hate them oh that's easy um because you forced me Mm, that's that's true (laughs) but you know what Mm, there's wine yeah so I'm basically
0: only here for the wine (laughs)
1: lots and lots of wine (laughs) we're gonna need it (laughs) well since we have very different feelings about scary movies we decided to share our emotional struggles with you all yeah so grab a glass of wine your Mm -hmm. favorite couch blanket and get comfy and enjoy the ride with us
0: Also, you can find their Terrified and Tipsy on Instagram and Twitter, plus all the podcast platforms. For links, head over to tipsypod.com. Cheers! And he he couldn't speak anyway. And he couldn't speak anyways, right. So it's not like he could be like, hey, mom, he's beating the shit out of me. Like, you know, and that's the... Oh, okay, yep. And see, so in his head... In his head, he's already gotten away with it in his head because, well, you know, when they interviewed me the first time, they didn't take me to jail because, you know, the the mom said all oh, that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think he could do that. It doesn't mean that you didn't do it, asshole. It just means that she doesn't think you can do it. She doesn't have Correct. proof.
1: Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, that DA at the time is somebody that I have no respect for. Um, I've had other interactions with him and he's proven himself to be um, basically a giant piece of shit. And I'm going to stand by that forever. Um, He's no longer DA, but his attitude towards my mom was like, Oh, you're just being mean to your poor husband because you're mad at him because you left him.
0: And that's such sexist bullshit right there. Like just because Uh you want to leave, leave somebody doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you should be the one that's guilted into staying because somebody thinks that, you know, you're being mean to your husband for leaving. Oh, man, I'm so mad right now. Like, I don't even know. Like, I'm... Oh, it's so... Like, cases like this infuriate the fuck out of me because there's no... Like, okay, I get it. Everybody's got to do their own job. The DA, the investigators, the police, everybody's Mm got to do their own job. But don't be a fucking douchebag about it. Like at least take the time to listen to the family or to the victim. Why the fuck aren't you li- yeah. listening to the victims, dude? That's the part that kills me is like and that's why we have victim advocate groups and all this shit now for for that very reason because people have glossed over the victims, you know, for years and I don't understand why.
1: I wish I could tell you that the story gets better.
0: Oh I I know but I have it, a feeling we're going further deeper but that's okay. It gets I, worse. I I, I believe yeah. it. Let's Man, I just no, and I'm trying to let like, and of course I'm trying to let you just tell your story but it's so fuck it makes me so mad when this shit happens.
1: Yeah. Well, and see it, it's kind of validating to hear you say that because for the last 33 years, you know, the reaction we've gotten from law enforcement and from the DA's office has been a little bit like gaslighting in the sense that my mom and I are infuriated about all of this. Sure. And they're just like, Oh, well too bad. (laughs) Or you're making it worse than it actually is. And so you start to question your sanity.
0: Sure. Um, But, but my feedback, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Of course. And it's, but my whole thing is, is it's like there has already like, Okay, all right. So let's let's play devil's advocate just for a second. Even though I don't like to take this position, but we got to look at the whole story, right? Sure. So like let's say hypothetically we take Jacob's death out of the equation, okay? Let's mm-hmm. just say that Jacob was still alive. Okay. In a sense, I guess, not that I agree with it, but I could see them say, "Oh, maybe it's not as bad, right?" Because a lot of unfortunately a lot of women cry wolf, right? Right. On in a sense that they're like, Oh, my husband's beating me, but yet he's never touched her. Okay, I get that. But let's take let's say Jacob's still alive, you guys are all one quote unquote big happy family. Okay, and maybe, maybe they I could see them saying it's not that bad. But a fucking kid has already died in the situation, and you were gonna try to tell these people that it's not that big of a deal, like it's not that important. Get the fuck out of here. That's that is mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I just wanted to go off on that for a second. Go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm good, man.
1: So, you know, my mom is left kind of feeling like, uh, there's really nowhere to turn at this point because the DA is, is basically the end all be all in this situation. If, if the DA doesn't want to prosecute, there's nothing you can really do to force him to do that. So we kind of just let it go. And then, and then it, a new DA comes in. And we approached that person. And the problem at that point was that when Jacob died, there was a statute of limitations on murder in New Mexico. And by the time the new DA was in that that statute had passed. So we uh, again felt like there was no option for us to get justice for him. So we kind of sat back and waited a little while. And then in the late nineties, the statute was overturned. It wasn't clear if it had been applied to past cases or not. So in 2005, my mom and I approached a cold case investigator with the state police to see if there was any possibility that the case could be reopened and looked at. And I have so much respect for Sergeant Christensen at the state police. He's the one that conducted the investigation in 2005. He did an amazing job. And he sent us a copy of everything that he had and it's, it's incredible. Um, we learned a lot of things that were shocking to us. We learned that John confessed to killing Jacob in the initial investigation. We don't know what he said, right? because there's no recording, there's no transcript and there are no notes indicate anything about the confession all it says is they were getting ready to take him in for a polygraph that same night and they decided not to because he confessed that's all it says
0: (laughs) well why the fuck is it still allegedly then that's right okay all right i'm listening
1: um so so he confessed we don't know what happened there okay and then we get to the polygraph
0: that I told you about earlier, right? That he said he passed.
1: Correct. Uh, we learned that he failed. Of course, polygraph. He
0: did. I knew he did when you said he passed. I. Mm-hmm. But of course, he can't come out saying, "Oh yeah, hey, by the way, I failed that polygraph test, and I, you know, I just killed your kid." So, but it's cool. Like we're good. Don't worry about it. That's he couldn't do that, right?
1: Right. And there were two questions, particularly that he failed really badly um the first one was did you injure or did you hit jacob he said no and he failed that and then um they asked him if he hit jacob in the head and he said no and he failed that so um we have a confession right Mm -hmm. we have a failed failed polygraph polygraph. right we have a medical examiner's report clearly shows that it was child abuse right Um, we have his behavior the night that it happened with the doctor that the doctor noted it and thought it was weird enough to put it in Jacob's file. And then we have his stories. So he has four stories and I'm not going to give you all of them, but essentially all four stories that he gave showed some sort of sharp force trauma and Jacob died from blunt force trauma. So none of those stories could have resulted in the injuries that that led to Jacob's death. Right. Um, the only consistent theme in the entire story in every story was that he was dubbing cassette tapes at the time that Jacob was hurt. And so I believe that's probably the only thing that's true in all four cases mm-hmm. of, and, and these four stories, I need to say, were all given in the first 12 hours of the investigation. So his story changed four times that same night. Um, in the synopsis that Sergeant Christensen wrote, he said, that Jacob's death was caused one way, not four ways, not the four ways that the suspect gave, and that it's clear that it was a result of child abuse. What's not clear is if it was negligent or intentional. So mm. yeah, he asked the DA to to press charges, and the DA declined again, citing the statute of limitations. I've learned some stuff since then. Okay. So I've learned that there was a Supreme court ruling in New Mexico that basically guarantees that all of these old cases can still be tried because, um, the fact that the statute was overturned and it had been applied to a past case now sets a precedent for any other cases to come forward. Um, so they can still charge him to this day. But after Sergeant Christensen sent the letter to the DA, the DA closed the case.
0: What the fuck? Why? What was his reasoning?
1: Because he said there was a statute of limitations.
0: Oh, my. Right? Oh, okay. But wait, wait. wouldn't he have access to to that um, Supreme Court the ruling?
1: It hadn't happened yet. Okay. At that point. All
0: right. And right. so this was in 2005. Correct. Okay. All right. So statue of limitations in 2005, when was the Supreme court ruling? Um, I don't know the exact date, but, um, I think it was a couple of years after that. And so
1: now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the DA to look at the case again and see if it's possible. The problem is that a lot of the evidence that existed in the eighties is gone. If you remember, I I told you my mom had a lifetime order of protection against this person issued by the court. The court has no record of it. It doesn't exist as far as they're concerned, even though I have a copy of it here on my desk that I'm looking at right now. Right. But according to the court, it doesn't exist. Other things that people need to be aware of. John had the keys to every office in the county, including the DA's office. He was a county employee. He was a maintenance worker for the county. And he could access every building whenever he wanted. I'm not saying that he stole the confession of course, or the notes or the tape or any of that, but it's not there. So, right.
0: It's not out of the realm of possibility. He would know where to go and have access to it. hmm
1: mm-hmm.
0: Oh, my. Okay.
1: He also knew every police officer in Socorro and played basketball with them every weekend. And it's important to note that he does not have a criminal record of any kind at all. which is shocking to me because if he is the type of narcissistic abuser that I think he is, it's not likely that he stopped doing what he did to us after we left. The more likely story is that he probably continued to do that to other people and there's probably other victims out there. And so the fact that he doesn't have a record is alarming to me because If he continued to do this, how do the police not know that this has happened?
0: But again, if we go back to, well, A, even if you just look up the definition of narcissism, but if you go back to the beginning of your story, I mean, everybody in the community, everybody thinks, you know, that John is this, you know, great individual and not mm-hmm. knowing, you know, what kind of person he truly is. Have you had a chance to sit down and talk with uh the mother of the other children that he had?
1: No. And and there's a reason for that. After Jacob died, mm-hmm. John hid out from the police and from everybody. And the place that he chose was her house.
0: Okay, so pretty much it's it's one of those situations that she would probably end up defending him regardless of what what the situation was.
1: I I don't know if that's the case, but I definitely don't want to put myself in a situation where that happens. So I've I've refra- refrained from that. I'm I'm really hoping that the DA will um look at the case again and and will reopen it and I can tell you that they they I am talking to them. I can't mm-hmm. tell you what's happening right now, but Um, I am talking to the current DA and I'm trying to get something to happen. So if I'm being an optimist in this situation, um, the DA and the police at the time, if I'm being optimistic were negligent in their duties to take somebody who is a predator off the streets. So best case scenario, they were negligent. Worst case scenario they conspired
0: right either way it's terrible okay so now this is just an opinion i'm gonna ask for your opinion and (laughs) you know obviously not from these are not the facts of anything with this case but what because i have my own opinion right just hearing everything (laughs) and forming it what's your opinion do you think it was you're, are you being optimistic or do you think it's a conspiracy because they potentially knew who, who knew him?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I go back and forth on it, honestly. Yeah, I'm the type of person that I want to think the best of people. Right. And so my hope is that it was just negligence, even though it's still horrible. Um, I hope that it wasn't malicious. I hope that that they didn't cover up for him, but I also looking at everything it's hard- it's hard to to not get that sense that there was some sort of cover up here
0: right and that's that's the way that i'm I, I, see I'm like you, I like to try to see the best in people, but I also have that other part of me that thinks the worst about everything and mm. so. You know, my opinion and strictly mine, nothing against anything in this case, the alleges, nothing, is I, in a sense, get that maybe that the DA at the time didn't know him, but somebody that he knew nudged the DA in a way to leave it alone. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that conspiracy might not start at the DA, but it definitely came from somewhere, and I... One hundred percent believe that. It's important to know that, like, I'm a super private person, Mm -hmm. and
1: I never wanted to to be in the situation where I'm I'm forced to beg people to help me amplify Jacob's story. I never wanted to tell my story. I never wanted to tell Jacob's story because I it's too painful and it's you know people have reactions Uh and and i don't blame them for having reactions because it is it is a horrible story right um but sometimes those reactions make me not want to share the story because um i worry about other people and i worry that telling my story could traumatize people in some ways right? And, and i don't want to be responsible for that so um so i i've always kind of held everything close to my vest but the thing is with jacob's case the da and the police have all hidden behind um procedure and formality and um and, and the DA is hidden behind the ability to decide whether a case is worth his time or not and, and use that as a litmus test for whether or not he's going to prosecute it. And so the only way that I can I can get any justice for Jacob is by getting his story out there so that there's nowhere for them to hide anymore. Because if people know what's happening, then they are forced to do something. Otherwise, they look ineffective. And so I didn't want to be in the situation right. and it is hard to, to tell Jacob's story over and over again. You know, it hurts, of it hurts, but, um, but I'm taking care of myself. You know, I'm, I'm in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I'm at the point where telling his story has become a lot easier. It's still hard and it still hurts. Um, but I feel like maybe there's some healing that's coming out of me being so open with it mm-hmm. um, because now I, I am forced to, to deal with it. You know, for the longest time I was able to kind of push it back in the back of my mind. And, and now that I'm actively advocating for justice, I can't really hide from it anymore. Right. Of which, course.
0: Cause you got to talk about it,
1: <laughs> which I think is a, is a good thing for me because, um, I need, I need to get it out there. I need to get it off of my chest. I need to get it out of my system. And of course, you know, it's going to be sad forever, right? It's going to be painful forever. Um, But maybe, maybe the severity of, of that pain can be reduced. I'm hoping.
0: I mean, the reality of it is man, like in, in, in this, I guess, this community, the true crime community or whatever you want to call it, you know, there's a lot of things that are overlooked, and mental health is one of them. And you know, just the, you know, I guess in a way, in a way, media has sensationalized, you know, serial killers and you know all this, and and I get it, right? We we're we're all fascinated by this whatever demon, whatever it is, right? But dude, there's a whole other side to every story that is told, and that is the family and yeah that's that's the victims that's you know the the parents of the victims that's the brothers and sisters of the victims and that's you know part of of what i think in in a way is really is overlooked is is Mm -hmm. why aren't we asking if they're okay fuck fuck ted bundy fuck whoever else is out there killing people like okay cool whatever i mean not cool but you know what i mean like so, but why not ask the family, Hey, how are you doing? Like this is, and this is, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you, but you are, you know, you're teaching me a lot because I can hear you sound like a very gentle person. I feel like you're probably, if I had to make a judgment of you without even knowing you, I would say you're probably pretty laid back, chill. You try to not rock the boat mm-hmm. and you're, you know, low key, just like, Hey, leave me alone. I'm good right
1: (laughs) yeah pretty much
0: (laughs) yeah so you know and i know you know it's it's hard to to make yourself vulnerable when you're so used to when you grew up in the environment that you did of you know of always having to be guarded and you know it's that fight or flight response you know of fuck am i gonna get the shit kicked out of me today or you know and the worst and not even you the worst part is what am I going to do today that is going to get my mom beaten? You know what I mean? And that's, that's as a kid that has got a fucking, that's another feeling that no human being should ever feel is like, fuck, am I going to get my mom beat today? And that's, that's not fair. That is, that's a hard way to live.
1: Yeah. And, And you know, all of that, you know, there, there's a lot of patterns and, and behavioral things that, that are ingrained in me now, you know, in in the way that I relate to people and in the way that I react to people and in the way I react to situations, a lot of that stuff has not left. And so I find myself sometimes in a severe uh, state of anxiety. Sure. And, and, and usually it's not for anything that's happening, but it's for maybe the similarities of a situation to something I experienced as a child. And it's hard to be aware of those things. And it's hard to, to, to know, you know, and and that's why I'm a huge, huge fan of therapy. I mean, it has helped me so much. And I don't think I would be able to get through half of the interviews that I've been doing if it wasn't for my therapist, you know, she's, she's phenomenal. And so as we wrap this up, I I have some thoughts I want to share with your listeners. And the first thing I would say is um, there's nothing wrong with getting help if you need help, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing weak about that. It's actually the strong thing to do to take care of yourself. Um, it's easy to slip into that darkness. It's easy to let yourself go. It's hard to ask for help and, and there's nothing to be ashamed of in doing that. Um, you know, I've, I've come to the point, in this journey where I've accepted the fact that Jacob may never have justice. It's a possibility that I know is, is very real. And I feel like the, the chance of him getting justice is a lot lower than the chance of him not getting justice. And so I've, I've accepted that now that doesn't mean I'm going to stop fighting because I'm not going to, but I've accepted the fact that it is a very strong possibility and, and knowing that, Somebody may ask themselves, well, why do you keep fighting then? And the answer is, I'm not just fighting for Jacob. I'm fighting for everybody who's in this situation. Because if I'm not willing to talk about this, then I cannot expect any change to come as a result of it. Because my silence is permission for it to continue. Right people don't know about Jacob's story. It's not a well-known case because we haven't talked about it. And so I guess my point is that if I don't get justice for Jacob, my hope is that somebody listening to any of the interviews I've done and listening to Jacob's story and my story and my mom's story, that if they're in a similar situation, that it gives them some hope or that it gives them some strength and that they can know that they're not alone.
0: Dude, take your time. It's it's hard, dude. I I you know that is the the wisest thing you know that anybody could learn is is it's not weak to ask for help, and that that's across the board, man. That's not just in a fucked up situation like this or anything. It's just being able to admit hey, I need help, man. Like, and, and that is a, that is the strongest position, you know, to, to come from is, hey, you know what? I tried to do it on my own, but I couldn't do it. And you're not alone, man. Like if you ever, and, and I, I'm truly mean this, you ever need to get something off your chest or talk, man, I'm, I'm just a click away, but, and, and I mean that, like, I don't all podcast bullshit. I know I'm just some random guy on the internet, but like, that's super important to me, man, is, is for people to feel like they have somebody out there, you know? Thank you.
1: Yeah. The community has been amazing. You know, if it helps one person to tell Jacob's story, then I'll keep telling it.
0: Right. And,
1: um, it, you know, that's in spite of the fact that jacob's case is up in the air i'm gonna keep doing it and i'm gonna be here so you know anybody can reach out to me if they want to talk about stuff like this you know i'm i'm here i understand probably better than most people do and i want to thank you uh for not only amplifying jacob's voice with your platform but also for being so respectful Mm -hmm. you know i think that you were hitting a point earlier and and it's something that bothers me It's okay to be fascinated with true crime. It's okay to be fascinated with, um, abnormal behavior and, and, and really wanting to understand that that's okay. Um, but I think your point was, was right on, you know, don't forget about the fact that we're talking about people's lives here. Don't forget about the fact that you're talking about probably the worst day that somebody ever had in their entire life. And don't forget that there are real people with real feelings um, and that there are people who were loved and are missed terribly by the people who were left behind. Uh, True crime as a genre, I think has a lot of really good things, but there's a lot of bad things about it too. Right. And, and, and some creators will completely dismiss the wishes of the family and try to turn a story into something sensational when it's already bad enough. Right. You don't have to make it worse than it is. And if you see true crime as entertainment, I would just challenge you to think about the victims and try to understand that you're talking about somebody's trauma.
0: Right.
1: You're listening to stories about people's trauma. And while I get the fascination, my story is not, your entertainment.
0: This is this is your hell that you have had to experience over and over and over again, whether you talk about it or not, whether you go to therapy or not, at the end of the day, you are you live with yourself day in and day out. Nobody else does. I don't, you know, the guy next to you, that you know, the person behind nobody else lives inside of your head except for you. And you have to live with it and accept you know get to a place of accepting it but at the same time it's like you don't know what it's like to live with something like that and unless you go through it and it's not fair to be like well you know because that's another thing with with mental health in general is like you don't know you know you know everyone's like oh you're just you know you're just depressed knock out of it and it's like dude it's not like that if if it was fuck if shit was that easy you know, everybody would be happy all the time. It's, it's, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, so it's, it's one of those things, man, that I, you know, my, I look at it through the, uh, you know, through having empathy for people. And I mean, even in a way there's like, I know, and this is going to sound crazy, but like you can almost in some of the, not all of them, because some of them are just truly bad from the beginning, but you know, there's a lot of serial killers out there that you can even feel empathy for at the beginning of mm-hmm. their life because mm-hmm. they were treated like fucking dog shit, man. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, the one that comes to mind, you know, off the bat is is Ed Kemper, you know, and he was belittled his whole life until he finally just snapped. Now, David. The, David Parker raised the same way. Right, and it's one of those things that it's like it's like, dude, you don't know what that person goes through or what's gotten that person to that point. Now, you, you know, have obviously not chose to go kill people and instead advocate for your brother's, you know, case to be reopened, which I will always give you a voice on that, and you have your own voice as it is, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, like you said, the more people talk about it, the better off it is, you know, to get that awareness out there. And, and yeah, the true crime genre focuses necessarily on serial killers when reality is they need to focus on the victims too. And it's, it's stories like yours that I think slip, you know, in a way kind of slipped through the cracks because it's not a media darling, right? It's not a, Mm it's not one of those stories, you know, Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, you know, sensationalized in the media. Some, you know, a baby who gets, you know, beaten to death, but doesn't create the same kind of views. And that's the problem that I have with our media in America, really in the world, now that we have social media where everybody is connected at a fingertip, that, you know, it's like, they are only reporting things that get those views and that's it. Like it's not, you know, you, you know, you can't report, Oh, you know, so-and-so helped somebody, but you can report that so-and-so killed somebody because Mm -hmm. so-and-so killing somebody is going to get way more ratings than so-and-so helping somebody. And that's the problem that I have with a lot of platforms now. Same, but I got a, I got a question and it's something as you were talking this last time that, I was thinking about have you do you still live in the same general vicinity or in the same town where all of this took place?
1: Um I live in Albuquerque now. Oh okay. So I'm
0: I'm 75 miles north. My mom is still there though. So is he still in that same town or did he dip?
1: Nope, he's still there. Oh, he my... still drives by my mom's house at least once a week.
0: That's so f- oh that and that's the worst part, man. Is the just the mere fact is that he gets to traumatize your mother every week by driving by her house. Mm -hmm. Like how the fuck is that even possible? Well,
1: and so it's important to know my mom doesn't really live in a neighborhood where there would be a reason for him to be around. Right. You know, right. Um, It's like, there's nothing out there. She's in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So you have to go out of your way to get to her house
0: is my point. That's oh my dude, that's so that like that makes it even like uh, you're right, man the story just gets worse and worse. That's just that's so and how like my I can't even wrap my head around the fact that you have a piece of paper in front of you right now that says you know that there's a lifetime protection order on this woman from this man. But yet somehow they don't honor it because they don't have a copy of the paperwork. Yeah. That's crazy. Have you ever thought about what you would say to him if you saw him again?
1: (laughs) Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to communicate with him at all. Um, I think that I don't know that there's anything to be said, honestly, because I don't feel like he deserves any kind of validation for me, whether it's negative or positive. Um, I, I want him to go to jail and I want him to pay for what he's done and I want him off the streets so he's not hurting anybody else. Uh, I don't really have anything to say to him that would make any difference in my life
0: right
1: or make me feel good in any way everything that i think of would only maybe anger me more or make me want to you know go to the next level or whatever but i just don't i don't have any interest in interacting with him there's nothing to be said he's a monster he ruined my life he killed my brother he almost killed my mom He's a piece of shit, and he doesn't deserve my time. Right. And and people that I talk to sometimes they want to speculate about oh well what happened in his childhood and you know maybe maybe there's something there that let and you know that's that's probably true there probably is some things in his childhood that led him but everybody has a choice.
0: That's right. In their
1: lives. You have a choice. You don't have to go down that road. Right. You can you break know? that cycle. A hundred percent. And so I don't have a lot of patience for that conversation either, honestly, because I don't care at the end of the day, he decided that he was going to be a predator and, and he did it.
0: Well, Eric, I appreciate you coming on, man. and, And telling me your story. I've got a question for you though, that is completely off subject, has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Do you mind answering it? Sure. All right. So, I got one question that I've asked all my guests, and I'm going to continue asking it forever as long as I'm doing this, is if you could be one condiment, what would you be and why? I'd be spicy mustard. Spice?
1: Why? Uh, Because I'm sarcastic and a little bitter.
0: <laughs> I like that answer. That's a good answer. Um, well, if you want to go ahead and plug your show where they can find you at and all that, I will give you... Give you all the time in the world, man.
1: Thank you. yeah, um, my show's called True Consequences. Uh, you can listen anywhere you get podcasts and you can also find information on trueconsequences.com. It's all about true crime in New Mexico, but it's done through an empathetic lens uh, because I understand better than most what it's like to be a family member of a murdered victim. And so I tried to frame everything in that lens. And, you know, feel free to, to listen. One of the biggest things I need right now is help sharing Jacob's story. And, and I'm not really the type of person that's like, well, if you don't have a certain number of followers on social media, then don't bother. Every person who hears this story helps me get closer to my goal of creating such awareness that the DA can no longer hide. And prosecution is the only option that they have. So, um, that's what i need more than anything. you know, i i would love to to get more listeners and and that would be amazing, but at the end of the day, if the only thing you can do is share Jacob's story, then then that's more than enough and and i will be forever grateful to everybody who does that.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you sitting down and and sharing Jacob's story with you. I know it's painful and i know it hurts. Um, but you know, i appreciate just you in general, you, I know you take a lot of time, you know, to look through that, you know, that, that empathy, you know, and, and that's what we need. We need more empathy in the world and not so cold and hard, you know, calloused people. So I thank you for that. Thank you. And I hope you have a good day, man. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, You never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Jury Room Podcast. I know this week's episode has definitely been a heavy case, but I'm extremely thankful for Eric having the courage to come on and tell his story, but I would like to take a moment of silence for Jacob. As always, leave a like, leave a review, follow me, whatever. Just share this case. And as always, thanks for listening.